The title of today's talk is Hunker Down and Hold On. Is that our strategy at the end of the age? Hunker down and just hold on. If you've been with us, we've been, by the way, my name is Chad and I'm one of the pastors here and just realized there are some new folks today and it's a joy to welcome you. It really is. I know that you could be doing a million things on Sunday morning like mowing your lawn, watching your East Coast football team lose. I'm just so aware, man, I I don't take it lightly anymore when people choose to gather with other believers in a location instead of in their PJs at home. No shame for PJs at home. I love you online. Get some coffee for me if you're watching. But just that practice of getting dressed, (laughs) getting in your car, putting your safety belt on, driving to a building with a bunch of strangers that are trying to become a spiritual family, braving the vulnerability and of being known and of knowing and of being, you know, in relationship with real people. It's messy, it's difficult, it's hard. But I want you to know it's worth it. Because right in the middle of the mess, we're gonna find somebody holding us all together named Jesus. And so, amen, amen, that's true. He does, he's the, he's the one who holds us together. And I just want to give a pastoral word about communion. That was a special time. None of that was planned. It is a mistake to only think through the lens of communion through a somber, sad spirit. I want you to understand what we did was, was, was very honoring to what Jesus Christ paid for. He loves when his people are happy and glad that his brokenness makes us whole. That brings God's joy in his heart. There is a time for for sackcloth and for mourning over our sin, amen. There is an absolute time for repentance and deep confession. But how many believe we've been living in that sort of space culturally for about 18 plus months? And I want you to know one of the things God's gonna restore and release through his end time church is when they declare what God has done through Jesus, it's not gonna be through a grimace or a growl, but with joy, because he alone can satisfy, save, set free, heal, and deliver. And I just pray that the, the gospel, this week um, on Thursday, uh, I made like a nine minute gospel, the Lord, my heart was so bubbling up with the glory of the message that we have in the church, the gospel of King Jesus. I'm like, babe, I got to preach the gospel right now. And like, so, you know, that's why it's in my bedroom. I was already home, but I'm like, I got to just preach. I got to speak what God has done through Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know what the church's message is? Not to be an echo, not to speak what everyone else is speaking. We have a message and a ministry and a mantle and a mission, and they all flow and hinge upon a person named Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King. He is our message. He's our man. He's our king. He's the horse that we're backing, the king that we bow to, the Lord we've sworn full allegiance to serve and to give our lives away. It's Jesus the man, the king, the Lord, it's Jesus. So anyhow, yeah, that was a part of the intro. 
I've been just, I've been stuck. We're in 1 Peter. We're trying to finish 1 Peter. But that verse again that got snuck up on me in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Get your Bibles, uh, give you time to turn there again. The end, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near or at hand. And I've just been thinking again, maybe if you're in your 50s, 60s, or 70s, you're already thinking more about the end. I don't know. I'm 37, but I want to spend my whole life thinking about and living in light of the end that is soon to come when Jesus returns. I don't want to spend my life trying to build a name, a platform, a ministry. I want to think about that day the day of the Lord when he comes, so that every day I can a little more, by his grace and those days that I fail, I confess and receive mercy and grace. But we are meant to be a people whose minds are fixed on Jesus, and the one that we're focused and fixed upon is coming again soon. And he, he is in a... Um, I mean, I don't know. I just have to believe he's excited about coming again. I have to believe that Jesus, when he looks back 2,000 years ago and he remembers when he became flesh and he walked among us and he lived the life that we could never live and he died a death that we were the ones who deserved to give away his life that we could never earn. I can't think that for 2,000 years now he's just been building up steam Inside of him, I just think about the son sitting next to the father. He's like, Dad, is it time yet? Come on, who, who, who's ever been away from your spouse or a loved one? And you were just, man, I tell you, every time I try to get home, it's like a flight is delayed. It's, it's time, it's hard, it's, there's like barriers and obstacles. Time's infinity, I have to believe the Son of Man on the inside of him right now is like, Father, when do I get to go get and to marry the people that I purchased, my bride, my church, when do I get to go? And, and finish the job once and for all, to bring new creation fully to bear on the earth as it is in heaven. And I, I just have to believe, friends, you and I are meant to be on a quest, on an adventure, on a journey to discover the zeal, the emotion, the passion, and the desire that is burning in the heart of Jesus for you and me, his people. I, man, Friday, I had a day off on Friday, and, and I took my four children. It was a four, to one, four against one. I was way outnumbered. Amen. I was way outnumbered. And so I'm praying the whole time. Not really. Kind of sometimes. You know, as I, but as I, as I, you know, made us the spot, and my kids go down to the water, and I... The Bible calls every father, me included, we are not as good or glorious or perfect as the Heavenly Father, and I know that. 
So in a small way, though, I participate in what he feels when, he, when I look at my kids, in a small way. And I remember just watching my kids and, you know, flinging sand at each other's face. And just having a ball, having a blast. And I, I'm back there. I'm an, I'm, a, I'm an emotional guy by nature. But I'm back there at the beach, like almost coming to tears because of how much I love my children. Do I always feel that way? Deep down, yes. Yes, of course I do. Sometimes do I? No, okay, now back on the record. And I want you to know if you're in this room or if you're watching us online, when the Father and the Son who are together in the throne room at the command center of the cosmos, when they look down and they see us, it is, they're not in, Father and Son are not indifferent. They burn with passion and zeal to be with us forever. And as I watched, you know, at the beach, I'm just like, there, there was nothing I could communicate to a nine-year-old, to a seven-year-old, to a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. There's no words I could articulate to fully express my value of my children, my zeal for my children, my passion for my children. And in the same way, when God, Hebrews 1, I think this is what Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 kind of means, God spoke to his children, Israel, and the patriarchs, and through prophets, and through angels, and through the different covenants, and he spoke in all of these different ways, trying to communicate his heart, his law, what he's like, and when all the paper ran out, he saved his favorite message He sent the incarnate word, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the living word, so that I just can feel the Father's zeal, like when words fail or when they don't communicate, like he sent his favorite message from before all time began, the message, the reality, the the word, the, the word in action, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And if you ever doubt, am I valuable, am I loved, am I wanted, what does God think? I want you to know he spoke his most significant, glorious message when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm, you know, I'm just back there at the beach on my day off, just hanging, just realizing that I so wanted to express, but, and I want you to know that God, the end of all things is near, that there is a person, there is a real person, as hard as it is to believe in like the comic book, Marvel, movie, Hollywood, but there is a real person right now named Jesus who is coming again, and he's not indifferent about his future or your future and our future forever together. He is excited about it. He is. When is it? And listen, because in Matthew 24, Jesus said to the disciples, no one knows the day or the hour. Say that with me. No one knows the day or the hour. Not the angels. Not even Jesus. 
Only dad, only the father. So I, can, I just have to believe, I just, I don't know. I don't have a chapter and verse. I know Jesus, I know, all of this is in line with scripture. He's burning with zeal. His eyes are fire. Eyes are the lamp of the body. So I know all of that's true. But can you just imagine, I just can't imagine being the father. Like, son, take it easy. Quit bugging me. Can you imagine It'll be soon enough, and I want you to know, the only reason there is a delay. Oh man, I, I, I was rereading all these old notes this morning. I got so set on fire. The only reason he has not come yet is because he's still extending grace and mercy and opportunity for those who have not confessed Christ as Lord. It's the only reason. The only reason is because the first description Paul wrote when he spoke about love is that love is P, patient. And I want you to understand, when Peter, the same guy who wrote the letter we've been looking at for months, in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, I don't want you to misunderstand God's patience that he's indifferent, that he's lazy, and that he's somehow distracted. He says, no, God's patience singularly means your salvation. He's like, it's not because I'm indifferent or I'm bored or I'm like, I hope these knuckleheads figure it out. He is purposely patient because he wants the world to bow their knee and to confess that Jesus Christ is King, Lord, and Savior. And that's why Peter, Peter, Peter goes on to say, he's like, like, the Lord is not slow. He may be patient and delayed in his coming, but he is not slow in keeping his promises. Come on, somebody. That's what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. Don't misunderstand his patience. I know Peter wrote 2,000 years ago, the end of all things is near and 2,000 years removed in a naturalistic, imminent frame where all that there is, post-enlightenment, is what you can touch, taste, see, hear, quantify, measure. We're so physical in our worldview, it's hard to really believe that this word written 2,000 years ago is a word for us today. But beloved, the end is near and it's meant to jar us and alert us and turn us in and on to what God is doing and what he's about to do in our day. It's meant to alert us. And the part of why we're, you know, the prayer room ministry is, is back up and running and why the altar ministry is back up and running is because it is in the place of prayer that we're brought into a different reality, that there is a truer reality happening in the dominion and domain and realm of God than, than what we see with the human eye. Amen. Come on, somebody. We have to believe that. If all we ever do is going by what we see, by what we hear, taste, and touch, we are missing out on what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, what is true reality, which is his reality. God's reality. And when God's people pray and we set our hearts to build the altar, to be a people of prayer, partnering with God, the Bible open, hearts laid bare, hands ready, minds turned on and tuned in to what he's saying, thinking, feeling, and wanting to do, in that exchange, we will be ready when Jesus Christ comes. And how many want to be ready? 
dressed, well, I love how Jesus is, dressed for service and ready. Oil in the lamp. And I'm just telling you what I've been trying to say. This is the third week I've used this verse to preach. We will not be ready unless we ready ourselves to be ready. You have to hear that. I, you, you and I, we will, we will, we're not going to coast into readiness. And how many, how many would say, Chatty, I think one of the things that the Holy Spirit's been doing in my life is he's trying to destroy my coast mentality. He's awakening me. Be awake. Be alert. Be turned on. And be tuned in to me, to what I'm saying, what I'm thinking and feeling. And it is so easy, like I've been saying for months, in a day and age in which we live, it's so easy to self-medicate. I, I spoke this a few, I, oh, it's, it, it's so grievous, and I, I have such empathy, because I have self-medicated before through a show, through food, through whatever. Just, I'm just, I don't want to feel the pain right now. I don't want to be a part of what's happening in culture. I just want to check out, and am I talking to anybody? The problem is, if you're born again, you're, you're by nature, by virtue of being born again and having the seed of God in you, you're not, you weren't born again to check out. And so it'll never feel natural. Amen. Temporary, like, relief, maybe, in the flesh. But you and I are meant, because we have God's word, we've already said it in 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 through 25. Because of that eternal word, that it's like uh, God's eternal homing beacon. You know, like, bam, 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 bam. Just tell me to stop. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you became born again, you became concerned with what God was going to do for all eternity. And so in this hour, part of the reason we're doing the altar conference to end 2021 is we want to be aware, we want to be ready for what God has for us as his people. We want to be alert, we want to be awake, we want to hear, and we want to know. And so I just, I just want to speak uh, back to the link tree thing. My notes, I'm not going to take long on this. This is not, well, it kind of is conclusive, but each one of these could be chapters and pages. So I'm just going to touch on, again, verse 7, alerting us, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So that you may pray. And the title of the talk, as I was reflecting, is when everything in us wants to hunker down and hold on and just let the world go by and and, and to sort of um, isolate and insulate God has something better for us. I was meeting with a people from another church. How many are thankful God's gonna tear all that stuff down? How many want the church to explode on the Central Coast? I've been, I've been trying to make it more of a practice in my heart, not because I'm good at it, because I'm still I'm very insecure and I wanna be significant and cool. 
But man, I want the church to be set on. I want the church to multiply on the Central Coast. Every church that loves Jesus, that loves the Bible, that obeys Jesus and keeps him as the fulcrum, the center, the cross, the resurrection stuff. We need the church to flourish. Friends, if hunger down and hold on is our strategy, the church will not survive in the West. That is built on easily so much data that would bore us, unless you're a scientist. And you like data or a mathematician. We are not meant to just maintain. We are meant to mobilize and to catch the wind by hoisting our collective and individual sails to what the Spirit is blowing on. Statistically, Chad, that sounds pretty arrogant. Yeah, it's not. Every letter, basically, that, that was written, we, listen, we, we have the illusion that we're invincible and, in, and, and impermeable and, and uh, immune to demise and compromise. But I, I remember one day I was reading Ephesians. I was memorizing some of Ephesians and just meeting with Jesus. And then I'm like, Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. And then I Googled how many believers that got hot off the press revelation, the glory of the scriptures written to them, how many Christians are still in that location on the map? It's like, help me, Gene, missiologist, like 1% or less. And I remember, it sounds cheesy, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I remember I was just doing devotions, and I'm like, huh, I wonder how many believers were written to where the church used to be the hotbed. It used to be the Mecca of Jesus. And it's like almost non-existent. I remember the Lord was galvanized my spirit. Like, Chatty, you are a small part of the link chain of my redemptive storyline, but don't fall asleep with your link. Amen. Like, it stirred me. It didn't make me get depressed and sad. Oh, that's a bummer. It was like, oh, God, please, by your grace, not on our watch. Keep the church burning. Keep our lamps filled. Keep the altar with a sacrifice on it so that you're moving and ministering in and to and through your people in our place, in our location. Yeah, I just remember it sobered me right up. So we are, our strategy moving forward is not just to maintain, ugh, there are things that need maintenance, amen? Like your hair. Like your fingernails. Come on, Deb, help me. I'm not anti-maintenance some things, your oil in your car. But the church, the living entity, the people of God, in and through whom the Spirit of God resides, is forming and filling and flowing through. We are not made to just maintain to Ben and Greret and Jesus, please come, hurry up, help, help, help. We are meant to partner with God in his mission in the world and to move the ball forward when it's been passed to us. I was reading Rick Renner's new book, uh, Last Day's Survival Guide. I haven't read it all. I'm not saying I recommend it. It was amazing so far. I just got the free version on Kindle. But I love that he said, in the game of tag, and, he, and he, he tied the game of tag, tag you're it, to every single new generation has been tagged by the previous generations who's been faithful to follow Jesus. Friends, we are it right now. Tag, you're it. Turn to your neighbor and say, tag, you're it, we're it. Okay, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be sober-minded. 
alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. That verse is so, it's like an iceberg. It's so rich. Here's a few things I was thinking about. Number one, in light of this verse, in light of the time that we're in, we want to be a community that is committed to living by faith and not by sight. Amen. Regularly, we're telling our friends at coffee or in our small group or in the lobby. We're regularly saying and calling each other to believe that there is more happening than what we see. Amen. We won't fall prey to the naturalistic imminent, the myth of progress that somehow humans are the ones who are going to be the savior of the thing and this vision of a kingdom without reference to or a reverence for the king of kings and lord of lords. We do not believe that lie. We believe that the righteous live by faith and it's by faith we please God and it's by and through faith we secure the promises of God and it's by faith in his faithfulness we are justified. And in this hour, in light of the end, we must cultivate the posture and the priority. I love it in Hebrews 11 when he spoke of Moses. To see him who is invisible. It says, I don't know, somehow you can see him who is invisible. Number two. The shaking is just getting started. I'm sorry, it's good news. It is good news. Embrace the shake. Say that with me. Embrace the shaking and the sifting and the stirring. It goes on to say in First Peter chapter 4, it says, um, For judgment begins with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And, and what Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 4 is that when God releases his judgments before the judgment, it is just another manifestation of his ultimate goodness and love because he wants to bring that which is chaff in our life through the fire of his judgment so that we learn to value and love and pursue his righteousness. The psalmist says when God releases his judgments, people learn righteousness. And how many would say today, the lesson of not just learning but loving righteousness in our hour as the people of God is of utmost importance in light of what's happening culturally. The fire, the shaking, the sifting, the stirring reveals what's there, refines what's there, and then if we let the fire of God and his judgment and justice and his word have its way, he wants to actually restore us back to our original purpose and glory. Say it again, embrace the shake. And I love it. When, when it's shaken, our line of sight, the focus and the foundations that we were building on are revealed and it becomes an opportunity to say, you know what, before we go down any further on this path, we want to stop, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's not in the note. I don't... Now we want to ask two questions. What is the foundation we're building on and what is the primary focus of our life? Say that with me. What is the foundation we're building on and what is the focus of our lives? 
How many would say your foundation and your focus have been shaken over the last season that we've been through? Raise your hand if that can be true. Why do we embrace the shake, the sifting, and the stirring? Number three, because I already preached this like four months ago, because Jesus Christ is worthy and he is worth it. Help me out on the balcony. The beauty of what God is gonna do in our time, yes, some are gonna, they're already sleeping and they're gonna go into a deeper slumber and many, it's like, you know, will leave the faith and fall away. But to those who embrace the shake, who say yes to being turned on and tuned into what he's saying, we're going to get in on an increased revelation, not like in some secret way, you know, but everyone's had access to it since Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me be very clear. But to the people who embrace the shaking and say yes to the judgments of God and to the fire of his Holy Spirit, the more he does in us, the more he looks to us. He is worthy and he is worth it. And I believe that the days that we're entering, the days that we're entering, Jesus Christ and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises yet to do will increasingly become more of our daily conversations. Come on, how many want to see that happen? Who he is, what he's done, and what he wants to do to become more a part of our daily conversations. Number four, it is going to be costly. I wrote this sentence. It's a zinger. I don't really like it. Following Jesus will no longer be a recreational hobby one day a week. And this is a good thing. How many would say by way of testimony this morning, the riches, the glory is found in the day-to-day walk with Jesus Christ? It's not a recreational hobby, once in a blue moon. It's learning to live in friendship and relationship with Jesus day in and day out. Almost done. Number five. It's all on your notes, so I don't have, that's why I'm not reading it all. You can go rip it apart. Email me, text me, call me, meet me if you have a question. It's going to be costly in the days and weeks ahead to follow and to stand with Jesus. I'd rather tell us that now as the cost is being seen. I just read uh, some missionaries in the unfolding saga in Haiti, obviously Afghanistan and in various areas, but right here in our own country, there's people who are standing saying, no, we believe that you know, faithfulness to Jesus, to the gospel, who are paying a price. And I want you to know what is happening for a select few will increasingly become true of the many. It's going to be costly. And the only way we'll be willing to pay that cost is if Jesus becomes real to us at the center of all that we say, think, and do. That there's a real person we're loving, we're knowing, we're serving, who walks with us, who doesn't abandon us when it gets tough. He stands in the fire with us. And that's why number five, we're, we're, uh, Pastor Raphael had a great insight. We kind of rebirthed or relaunched our altar ministry this week, and it was a significant week. But cultivating that altar lifestyle, standing before God, 
in prayer, in worship, in his word, is our weapon to overcome the spirit of the age and a lukewarm heart. Blech. How many have ever suffered from a lukewarm heart syndrome? Me. There is a remedy for a lukewarm heart. How many believe there's a remedy for a lukewarm heart? So we want to we want to continue to build build the altar personally and as a church community. And then lastly, we I never got to share this about nine months ago, and I, it was some of the strongest stuff I felt like God's given me over the years. And now I'm not even gonna get to share it either, but I'll just touch on it. I see all of that as a sequence. Living by faith, not by sight. Embracing the shaking, sifting, and stirring. Why would we embrace it? Because he's worthy and worth it. We say yes to the cost, no matter the consequence of following Jesus in the hour. We build that altar ethos lifestyle. And then lastly, that's our strategy internally and we shift from a Jerusalem come and see to an Antioch go and be. And if you read the storyline of the book of Acts, Jerusalem was the center of the action for like 11 chapters. But there was a shift in chapter 11 when no name ordinary people. The Bible calls them men of Cyprus and Cyrene. That's all we know about them. They just started sharing the gospel with everybody, especially those who weren't Jewish, those who were just worldly people. And God so blessed that effort of ordinary, unnamed, no title people that Antioch, that was in the place called Antioch, became the missions hub of the church that would then span the world. And I believe that God is shifting us to become that training center where we do all that we can not to busy your life with religious activity, but to equip and empower you to be God's people at your workplace. Come on, somebody say amen. In your neighborhood, in your friendships, through your time, treasure, and talent. So we're not building a big thing for us, but we're building a big people for Jesus. And you can see if you download the notes, I'm not gonna go through that whole chart. I just, I tell you exactly what I mean by tr traditional mindset, training mindset. And it's just all right there. I, I won't unpack it. You can please, please read it. But in, in essence, when I think of Jerusalem and Antioch, if you read the book of Acts, maintenance versus mobilization and I want you to know that every person in this room, God wants to mobilize to participate in his kingdom, in the life of his church, and in his mission in the world. Who believes today that you are freaked out about that, but you believe it's true, that God wants to mobilize all of us for the hour in which we live? To And I, I love it because there's no experts, right? I'm as scared as you are. <laughs> this week we had uh, some neighbors over and guys, I have chapters of the, I'm not bragging right now. I'm just saying if anyone should not be scared, it should be Pastor Bull. We had some friends over in our neighborhood. 
and some are, are kind of not necessarily believers yet or haven't gone to church, and I just blurted it out. I'm so nervous. I'm nervous. And I'm a pastor, and you're in my house, and I don't really know what to do. It's like I have two left hands. And that actually broke the ice. I remember uh, in closing, uh, Pippa, I think is her name. Someone Google it. Out of the salt shaker into the world. Someone Google it. One of the most important, you know it? Pippa. Uh, thank you. Pippa. Pipper? Yeah. I, had a, I, had, I went and saw this church planner in San Diego. He planted like 20 churches. I listened to her like a serial, like five hours on YouTube on the way down, and I have the book. It's a classic book on evangelism. I highly recommend it. But in this book, she says this, because we're talking about mobile, everyone being mobilized in their workplace, in their world, in their day-to-day life to be God's kingdom citizen, to be, a, to be an extension of his body in the world. And in this book, I, I, this was probably 10 years ago I read that book, or 15, it's been a long time. She said the very things we think would disqualify us from being useful to God are often the most useful for God in his mission in the world. And I will say, I am a satisfied customer of that insight. When I said to my neighbors, again, some church people, some not, we don't really know what we're doing, we're just trying to do it. (laughs) And when I said, gosh, I'm really nervous about this, I don't really know everything we're supposed to do, it was like, it didn't make everyone leave my house and go, well, forget this, I'm out. It actually brought everyone closer in. Did you know that none of us are all that good at relationships? None of us are all that good at letting our light shine. I mean, some of us are really good. I can think of a few in the room. But how many would say, what if that insecurity and fear is actually a key that will lock somebody else's door? How many believe God could do something like that? He could take our weakness and get glory through it. Our fear and insecurity and accomplish his purposes through it. How many would say, Chatty, I believe, maybe even me, I could be mobilized in this hour of church history and partner with Jesus and what he's doing in our time. That's what we want to give ourselves to, those few things over the next days, weeks, months, and years. The end of all things is near. We want to live in light of that message today. We want to plan around it. We want to purpose around it. We want to put priorities around it. It will not happen just by us coasting and being indifferent. God wants to call us to engage our hearts, minds, and lives. And you don't have to know all of the answers, praise God, because I sure don't but I'm in. And how many would say today, Chatty, I wanna be in, I wanna be mobilized, I wanna say yes, as weak as I feel, unqualified, but to these few things, I don't wanna just maintain, hunker down, hide and isolate, I wanna stand in this hour with Jesus for his glory and for his name. And if that's you, could you just stand? I wanna pray a blessing over us and over you just to recommit, to sign on, to sign up, Tag, you're it. 
I love that by Rick Renner, the great missionary theologian from Russia, amazing author, amazing teacher, great insight. But I loved his playfulness. Tag, you're it. I just want you to respond to the Lord right now as he's calling you to be awake. He's calling you to himself. We just pray, Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Search me and know me. Cause me to be awake today. To respond to the grace of God today. Just say, Holy Spirit, burn in me like a fire. All of the dross, all of the stuff that's competing for space that you alone want to occupy. Give him your mind. Say, Lord Jesus, I want your mind. I want what you think and what you see and what you say to occupy my mind. And hold out your hands, say, Jesus, your word says that we are your body and your fullness fills us so that through our partnership, you are seen you are shared and you are shown to those around me. God, I just pray, mobilize us as your people today. Alert us and awaken us to what you're doing. And then I just wanna pray this prayer. Can you say, Father, put a hunger for your word in my heart. I want to know you, be close to you, be one with you, dressed ready for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Would you guys just receive this benediction and blessing? Amen. Can you just stick out your hands like you're receiving a big old gift? This is one of my favorite verses. I love it so much. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the sin of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that man, how much more will those who receive, hear it, God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness 
reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. May the Lord's abundant grace, may the Lord's gifts accompany you this week, and may they flow through you to those around you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys.